those rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. It's Mexi and Marine. And Marine. Happy New Year, Marine. <laughs> you do this every time I'm on. I know, every like, time. <laughs> Happy New Year! <laughs> yes. So, full disclosure, we're recording this before the new year, obviously, yeah. but we're very <laughs> excited to inspire all of you to have a positive 2019 to counteract all of the otherwise, you know, depressing and apocalyptic stuff that I'm seeing coming out from, I mean, the news, but also just leftists on Twitter. All of my friends basically are are feeling kind of bleak about 2019, but we feel like, you know, in line with dreaming the future, we need to put our energy where, where we want it to be, where we want it to go. Not Mm -hmm. like, you know, dwelling on the impossible. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a very fine balance. and One I'm always trying to find between being really bleak and aware (laughs) and critically thinking about what's happening and realizing that we are in the midst of an apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of the coin, which is people who are in complete denial about the shit that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out how to be you know, how to be pessimistic, but like not pessimistic in the bad sense where I'm just like really defeatist about everything, like pessimistic Mm -hmm. where I'm aware of the issues enough to really want to do shit. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Not even pessimistic, like, like realistic in the sense Mm -hmm. that like, okay, I understand the, the situation we're in. I understand the complexity of the solution and how much it's going to take to bring everyone together to address this. But at the same time, yeah, we, I mean, we need to be putting our, our thoughts and our energy towards what we actually want so that that's, I don't even say like, that's what we're attracting because I know that we've already done a podcast that really shat all over the, the law of attraction, <laughs> but, um, but in a sense, yes, you know, like just so that we, we have something that we're orienting ourselves to and that our thoughts are not just yeah, dwelling in defeat because that's, we don't have time for that. Frankly, we have like four years, five years. <laughs> it gets you know? worse every podcast. I mean, it gets worse. Yeah. We, well, we have like two days, like, you know, we, <laughs> we, we can't be sitting here being We're like, like actually 30 years overdue. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh, actually, oof, yeah. We have negative, negative yeah. 30 years. Damn. Yeah. So we don't, we can't really be sitting here being like, man, 2019 is going to be bleak. You know, yeah, it's it's going to be a rough patch that we go through, but yeah, I think both of us right now are kind of on this I wouldn't even call it a kick. Like we're kind of yeah. just orienting our energy towards building as opposed to I mean, we are tearing down, <laughs> tearing down but like building, you know. Mm-hmm. And also just thinking about the importance of more intangible like emotional things in our leftist movement, because, you know, I do think that's something that is missing in a lot of spaces, just kind of this, um, this acknowledgement of our own consciousness and our own um, thoughts and behaviors and how that actually supports and replicates the systems that we're trying to tear down, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. put that exactly. Yeah, no, that, that was well put. I'm just trying to even want stuff like desire things because I Mm -hmm. feel like I got so 
it's so easy to always be in the mindset of like criticizing what is. And I've gotten so good at like acknowledging what I don't like and what is problematic. But I'm now trying to do an exercise where every time I figure out what I don't want, I Mm -hmm. also not even try to replace it because it's not like I'm trying to, this is where like the whole law of attraction thing, I I don't necessarily, you know, I don't subscribe to it in the sense that like, I don't think that we should like, there's no way to ignore all the bad shit that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that we should. And I don't think that that is productive. But I also think we we can have some room to like, want stuff or dream other things. Mm -hmm. So whenever I acknowledge even like little daily things where I'm like, Oh, I like don't want that. I'm trying to think like, okay, well, what, what would I want instead? And Mm -hmm. can I devote at least some of the energy towards that towards Mm -hmm. like getting excited about that thing or even envisioning what that situation would be like if it was optimal, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Adrian Marie Brown says that, you know, what you focus on grows Mm -hmm. and that's kind of true, like in every part of your life. And I guess this kind of goes back to like kind of Buddhist thinking about like watching, quote unquote, watching the thinker. So like when you have thoughts arise, like watching what kind of thoughts are coming into your mind. And, mm-hmm. you know, because if they're all like super negative, if it's all super terrible self-talk and all that stuff, then it's going to affect your mood and your emotion and your behavior and all that stuff. So it's kind of similar in that like, okay, what are your thoughts? Like, are your thoughts all about just Armageddon and the world dying and like, you know, because that'll lead you to different emotions and like a, a certain state of being that might make you immobilize. I want to say like, Paralyzed, paralyzed but 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 that's probably ableist but yeah. you know it, it might just make you um i guess inert yeah. and unable right. to unable act, to act. Mm-hmm. yeah should we we haven't introduced what we're doing in today's episode yet <laughs> you're right <laughs> i was like should i cut so we can pretend like i'm saying this at the beginning but <laughs> no this is no all right yeah little little peek at the behind the scenes there <laughs> little peek behind the scenes so but so what we're doing today and we're excited is that we're thinking so we've thought of headlines that we'd like to see in the future so these don't have to be realistic headlines and this was the really hard part of this exercise for me is every time I was trying to think of a headline that I'd like, I was getting bogged down in researching like how it would be possible mm-hmm. <laughs> or if it was possible. And I was like, wow, I've lost the autonomous ability to just dream about something right. and get excited about it. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be a mixture of just like, yeah, th- they don't, they're not necessarily like plausible things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just headlines that we've dreamt up for a better future or like what they might say if this, if you know, the apocalypse happened in the best way possible or mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So like surviving the apocalypse and like not just surviving it, but perhaps at the end of the long road having something thriving. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we decided to do this for the like new year episode just to start off the new year, because like, this is how we kind of want to orient our energy for this next year coming ahead. Right. So yeah, we really wanted to, um, collectively, I guess, inspire people to come together on these grounds and, 
I mean, obviously take time. And this is something that Adrian talks about too. And uh, yeah, we just love Adrian Marie Brown. Just, yeah, 2018 for me has been resumed to like emergent strategy and Adrian Marie Brown. Right. So yeah, as she says, you know, obviously take time to mourn because I think that's something that we don't really do in activist spaces is like actually take time for you know, acknowledging that, yeah, climate change is fucking scary. Like, this is all scary stuff. This is all really sad stuff. So, like, to actually, like, grieve that fully and, um, I guess, have, bring a little bit more, like, emotional intelligence mm-hmm. um, into our movement spaces. But, yeah, we just really thought New Year 2019 – this is how we want to orient. So here's the headlines for the future. So mm-hmm. our idea was that we're going to think of like a transition kind of like like headlines for the next 10 to 20 years and then mm-hmm. headlines for the far future, like 50 years in the future maybe, where the future that we want to see has come about. So we're just going to share those and kind of talk about them. And we have not read each other's. Right. This is the big part. I'm so excited to hear what Maxie has come up with <laughs> yes. because I struggled so much, yeah. I think even more than you. I don't know. They were really challenging. I just had this one night where all of a sudden everything just came to me and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to write all these down. But it definitely was a struggle. Yeah. It's starting. It's really hard to think. I mean, just hearing you describe the exercise and realizing I didn't really come up with stuff 50 or 100 years from now. It's just so okay. hard to like imagine it. Yeah. Um, well, no, I did. Well, we'll, we'll see. But yeah. <laughs> mine are just like bigger, I, I guess, like big ideas that I'm like really excited to hash out with you. Mm, awesome. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. I at, at first, I was like, this is excruciatingly difficult. And then I sort of got sort of like started to get excited about stuff and yeah. things started coming to me mm-hmm. but I can't say this was a comfortable exercise to do. I've been putting it off for like two months full disclosure yeah yeah <laughs> I know well I, I think it's difficult to feel the, like you're kind of responsible for coming up with something <laughs> great you know what I mean and I think yeah. that might be why a lot of people I think, I think that might be why like a lot of people on the left or just the leftist movement in general doesn't spend a lot of energy thinking about this kind of stuff because there's just a lot of pressure and nobody wants to be wrong. Like nobody wants to like, Mm -hmm. like it's risky to put something out there and then have that be wrong. And this actually reminds me of an article I read. Um, I haven't read this book, but it's Alain Badiou um, wrote the communist hypothesis, I believe. And anyway, there's an article about it just basically saying like, we can't be afraid to to fail again, you know, like we can't be afraid to be wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. we have to actually just really full out be straightforward about what we want to see. And like, yeah, of course, like it might not work out. I think it's like a people, there's that fear there of being like, yes, here's my headline. Here's what I want to see. And then like having that happen and having it be like a disaster. And then, so that kind of makes people be like, oh, well, I don't want to be the one to say it. Like, I don't want to be the one to make this plan and then have people follow it. And then it's like actually awful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's also that voice in my head of that that's just like, this will never happen. This will never happen. Like right. I was, I stayed clear in my headlines of 
making governmental change be like this person is going to get elected or something first of all because I think we always think of change in terms of who's in our office right and that has like again and again proved to not be efficient Mm -hmm. um but every change I was planning along those lines I would spend 20 minutes researching after being like, okay, is this actually possibly going to happen? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I was getting frustrated because I was just thinking, why can't I dream up any headlines without right away putting my academic brain on and hearing all the people who are going to tell me that this is never possible and trying to work out this transition. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Adrian says too, is that like, and you know, it's like capitalism has colonized our ability to dream the impossible like we're supposed to only dream the possible and leave the impossible alone and it's like no we need to dream the impossible and then make that possible collectively like if everyone's minds were oriented to this kind of thing then we like we would have so much to work with yeah I, i was actually talking to someone last night who is doing their masters and their their whole project is looking at like eco-socialist economic planning for the future. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's such a brave topic to take on. Like nobody wants to take that on because nobody wants to be wrong or nobody wants to Mm -hmm. do this thing and then have it be, be not that great. But it's like, um, you know, this person's whole thing was that, well, we have to try like, you know, a model or an idea for the future isn't set in stone. Like if we're doing this collectively and democratically, then yeah, someone puts out an idea, we test it, we try it, it doesn't work. That's fine. We come up with something new together. But like, we Mm -hmm. all have to at least have our foot in the door. Like we all have to be at least in that space to come up with anything at all. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise, we're never going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just fear holding us back, you know? Mm -hmm. I heard her say in a podcast recently that we need to dream, we need to have a collective dream that's so big that it can no longer stay in dreamland. Yes. It has to manifest concretely. And when you just think about how wild things are right now, like this had to be imagined by some people at mm-hmm. some point, you know, and we need to break free. Like, yeah, the situation is the things that are happening are completely dystopic mm-hmm. and things that we never even thought were possible like 5, 10, 15, let alone 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And this is Afco who says this in, uh, in her book Afroisms, but that, you know, the, the inferiority of animals or of black people, of women, et cetera, like marginalized group is fictitious. Like mm-hmm. our inferiority is not real. And so we need to we need to dream up something different and we need to realize that like we are trapped in someone else's imagination right now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like and it imbues our own imagination because it affects like it affects what we dream for ourselves and yeah i mean like this whatever internalized misogyny internalized everything and i feel like we have like internalized capitalism you know what i mean absolutely especially as leftists and we don't acknowledge that at all so it's like we we need like a serious uh, internal transformation, each and every one of us. And I think people it, like, it's easy to kind of like look outside and be like, yeah, oh, it's capitalism. Capitalism is the problem. Or like, this is the problem. Or like the elites are the problem. And it's like, yeah, they absolutely are. But like that all comes from somewhere. Like that all comes from, I, Maureen was saying this before the podcast, actually that, you know, it comes from our collective, the, the, the collective state that we're in and mm-hmm. like our collective ego and desires and all of that stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's something we need to really shift. Mm-hmm. 
if we're going to really make a meaningful transformation that doesn't replicate these kinds of horrible hierarchies or oppressions or like, you know, canceling people or like carceral punishment and stuff like that, like we need, yeah, we need like a real like mental and emotional personal transformation. And I think, I think part of that is kind of like reorienting our thoughts and our energies towards things that are going to serve everyone, you know, yeah, towards love, towards compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Empathy and mm-hmm. like getting rid of our own egos. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like we are not here to gain things. Like we are here. I think you, you also said this before the podcast, but <laughs> you know, we, we are here as vessels, you know, mm-hmm. vessels for the transformation, not necessarily here just like to just enjoy ourselves personally. Like we are part of a collective, like we are everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously you know, it, there's always this tension that arises whenever I talk about this stuff or when, whenever, like, I feel like me and you too, we, we talk about this stuff. And then at one point, like, obviously we acknowledge that not everyone has the same shared responsibility. Like, I hate when people no, just say, well, it's the human race that's just wired like this. Like, obviously, yeah. um, different people, like there's some people who are way, way more quote unquote to blame for the state of the world than others. Mm-hmm. And like none of what we're saying wants to invalid, like is in any way invalidating that. No. Um, but it's, you know, like, yeah, the state of the world and Trump, like he's a reflection like of us, you know, mm-hmm. not of necessarily like us on an individual basis. And again, like, yeah, it's really hard for me to develop these ideas without making it seem like I'm blaming everyone equally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when I'm just like, yeah, there's just like, this compulsively egoic individualistic culture that's completely i think completely born out of fear as you mm-hmm. said and and this myth of this myth of scarcity and this myth of competition has completely mm-hmm. like fucked up our brains mm-hmm. and the way that we relate to each other and um the yeah just the way that we treat our world Absolutely. Because even the idea of competition, it's like, why are you competing? Like winning a competition, you're doing that because that tells you something about yourself. Like that feeds Mm -hmm. into the story that you tell yourself about yourself that like, I am this because I won, like I beat everyone else. So that means I am better than everyone else. And that's all just rooted in, in ego. And so it's like, you know, obviously, yeah, we need to attack the systems that harm us, but we also have to make sure that like that is not within us either. Like that, that egotistical want to win or want to like be someone that's like recognized by everyone for like problematic reasons. It doesn't actually exist within us because if it does, then we're going to carry that forward into the future. And like, there's no place for that. Like in the, Mm -hmm. in all the headlines of the future and everything that we're dreaming, there's no place for that. So Mm -hmm. anyway, these are just the kind of things we want to bring into the new year, into Mm -hmm. the future. It's just really being conscious of this stuff and not just, because I know like some people, you know, I, I got some comments when we recommended Adrian's podcast. I got some comments from people being like, oh, this is all very, you know, I don't know, out there, hippy dippy, like mm-hmm. em- em- emotional, intuitive kind of stuff. New like, agey. Yeah. Like let's stick stuff. to the materialism. And Ugh. I'm like, it's all connected. It is all connected. Like mm-hmm. people, like what drives people to do things are these very predictable 
things that are tied to, yeah, like ego, fear, insecurity, um, like wanting to be loved, wanting to be like admired, like all these kind of things. And it's just like, we can't ignore that, you know, like mm-hmm. it has to be a more holistic approach. So mm-hmm. anyway, and obviously we don't ignore the material conditions like this. Our entire show is about the material conditions. <laughs> like we're just all also saying that like this is important. So mm-hmm. anywho. So me and Maxi just spent some time trying to discuss how to do this because since we have not read each other's at all, uh-huh. it's hard to know if like she should go and then I should go and then she should go or yeah, if, uh, yeah I don't know. But it's um, hard to say. how about how about do you want to start off? Okay, so I'll start with my transition period. So the transition period I'm envisioning within the next ten to twenty years. So. Reacting to IPCC report, angry mobs everywhere shut down factory farming. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, my transition, I guess I'll just say like a little background about my transition. My transition is kind of like, basically everything's being torn down. Like everything problematic is like being torn down. Yeah. I acknowledge that shit has to to get like real, real bad for us to be like, all right, yeah, we need to reconstruct. But like even my tearing down, is kind of like a positive, like angry mobs everywhere shutting down factory farming to me is like amazing. Like that's like a happy Mm -hmm. thing. So like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah. Okay. So the next one I have is as Canadian state is dismantled, settlers learn to live in the indigenous nations that they inhabit. So my idea is that like, yeah, next 10, 20 years, like everything's being torn down. Canada is obviously like a unjust colonial occupation. So that's gone. And then we actually have to learn as settlers about the nations that we actually inhabit. How do we follow natural law? How do we like respect the the earth and the territories that we live on for the next seven generations, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have like an idea of how exactly the Canadian state is dismantled, but <laughs> it is, it is. Um, okay. So then I have sacred water defenders, victory prompts, transition of oil sands workers into green technology. So uh, yeah, I'm sure people are aware of the tar sands in Canada, probably the most disastrous resource extraction project on the planet that must be stopped (laughs) immediately if we're going to stay below two degrees Celsius warming. So can you just say a bit about that? Because I don't know that much about this. Oh my gosh. Okay, so yeah, the tar Sorry sands. If listeners do, and this is boring. <laughs> no, I think that I I always think that this is common knowledge around the world, and then I'll I'll tell people about them, yeah. like when I go to conferences and stuff, and people don't really know, and I'm just like, what? Like, if I was any other country, I would be furious with Canada that they are doing this because it is the most polluting, I guess, way to get oil <laughs> out of the mm. ground. So basically, what it is is. It's we have all these sands that are filled like they're tar sands. Um, so there's like oil, I guess, like there's bitumen within the sand. But so what they have to do is they clear cut the forest. So I mean, all across that area is the boreal forest, which is an incredibly important carbon sink. So they're just clear cutting the forest to get mm-hmm. at the sand underneath, and then harvesting the sand, and then an enormous amount of energy goes into extracting the fossil fuels from that sand and what's produced is bitumen which is this like really heavy uh fossil fuel that you can't 
can't, you can't use that as is. So you have to refine it into crude oil. And so even more energy and resources goes into refining that into crude oil. And throughout this whole process, I mean, an ungodly amount of water is used and all of that water comes out in toxic tailing ponds. So like, where we used to have boreal forest over this huge expanse in Alberta, we now just have these like open pits and it's all just filled with like these toxic tailing ponds. And there's people whose job it is to sit around and like shoot at birds because they don't want them to land in the toxic tailing ponds because they will die. Right. Um, and so it's just a, it's a disaster, but given how, how energy intensive it is to make this fuel and like to turn it into crude oil, it's like one of the most polluting projects on the planet and it has to be shut down in order to Mm. keep, uh, warming under two degrees Celsius. So there's, I mean, there's a bunch of pipelines that are being proposed across Canada right now. Um, our liberal government just bought, but for $4.5 billion bought the company that was proposing this pipeline because there was so much resistance to it. So they're just going to like push it through or they're trying to, but it's not working. So Uh there's obviously, you know, like water defenders, there's indigenous resistance all over that saying like, no, this goes against, you know, your responsibilities. This goes against our inherent rights. Um, So my idea is that like all of the indigenous groups who are like blockading and like you know, making sure that these pipelines don't go forward and that the bitumen stays in the ground, they are successful. Like maybe they win court cases. Maybe they like, it's just not, they make it so that it's not worthwhile to actually continue um, trying to get this oil to market. And then, so then all the workers that used to work in the tar sands get transitioned into like, yeah, green technology or ecological restoration so they can actually restore all these horrible toxic tailing ponds. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, as you'll see, like mine's kind of Canada focused because I'm like, this Mm -hmm. is where I am. So I'm like, this is what I want to see in Canada. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number four, workers and homeless occupy empty homes, expropriate landlords. Yes. Yes. Which that needs to happen. Okay, I have two more actually. I kind of went overboard. Okay, number five. <clears throat> Last remaining university business class cancelled, replaced with courses in ancient green technology and permaculture. Dude, yes. Oh my god. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, fuck business. No one's learning that shit anymore. No one's learning Good. goddamn neoclassical economics ever again. This ridiculous yeah. idealist bullshit. No one is learning that. Yeah, and and I'm sorry, I just need to interject because I yeah. know so passionately about this like I work with high schoolers who all of them want to do business which I'm like who the fuck wants to do business when they're 15 or 16 years old they don't even like it means nothing (sighs) yeah and they're all so in the international baccalaureate in the IB they have either um economy or business classes um and they teach they still teach the same neoliberal shit as they did before like cutting costs and cutting costs of production and like cutting labor costs in order to augment your profit margin they have exercises that are like so you open a coffee shop but then the coffee shop next to you starts like lowers their prices by two dollars a cup what do you do and there's like literally different options which is like you pay your workers less you (gasps) go back to the source of production to like cut the costs of like the coffee beans that you're getting the blah blah 
blah, blah. And like, when you actually point out, I have a friend who also works in high school who told me that they, that like, she pointed out to them like, okay, but what is going to happen to your workers? If you're like lowering the cost, do you understand that like, that's going to impact their standards of living? Uh And they were like, Oh, like, I don't, I don't know. Like that's not part of the course. Like, so it's, it's again, like just teaching future dominant classes in capitalism to apply these neoliberal measures without Uh thinking of the repercussions whatsoever. Uh Like Uh it's, it's really terrifying. And, and I'm just thinking, how are we still teaching high schoolers this crap when we are in the apocalypse? I don't understand. Yeah. The listeners can't see my face right now, but like my mouth is like a gape. Like I just can't understand. Yeah, and you just see these like hundreds of privileged high schoolers being funneled through these like extremely dangerous, being completely indoctrinated in this mentality. And I know that it must it must be so much worse, and even pushing business schools and everything. Mm. But I feel like those people have you know, they've chosen to believe in capitalism somehow or in the free market. Mm -hmm. And I definitely am concerned with what's going on in those schools. But the fact that we're still training kids that are like 15 years old to think like Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's horrifying. That's so horrifying. And it's funny because it's like, that actually sounds like it could be like a Marxism 101 class because that's exactly, that's exactly it. It's like, yes, this is the critique of capitalism, that the only mm-hmm. way to make your profit is to reduce the pay of the workers or destroy the environment. Like, this is a, this is a bad thing, mm-hmm. but it's just being taught as, you know, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what yeah. you do to succeed. Yeah. yeah. And so I also think that so much of this change has to just go through education. I, I mm-hmm. just feel like if if education could be just changed for one generation of high schoolers, mm. oh for one gosh. generation, you know, of college students, it, yeah. it would be huge. And a lot of my headlines are very focused on, I I am super optimistic about what certain, like what is coming out of like teenage, you know, Mm -hmm. the activism of young adults. I think Mm -hmm. they just make me super hopeful. Um, But yeah, it's just so clear to me that this has to be really taught to them from an early age, or they have to just be critical thinkers and just realize that like capitalism cannot sustain because they're all I mean I work with high schoolers and I see that they're all concerned with climate change to some extent like everyone knows that shit's not great right now you know Mm -hmm. and we're not heading in a good direction but the tools that we give them in order to think about this stuff and to potentially change it are so wrong you know so many of them tell me well but I need to make money in order to give back later so like that's (sighs) why I need to do business you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I just, that idea is so, so pervasive. Yeah. I mean, I think that could be a headline. It's like, uh, yeah, high, high school, high school curriculum is like 100% anarchist or something. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> or like, yeah, Marxist taught to teenagers now instead of fucking civics and whatever business in the baccalaureate. Like whitewashed capitalist bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, I agree. So I'm like, yeah, fuck no university in the future is going to be teaching that kind of garbage. And I chose, I was like, I didn't know how to say this, but like ancient green tech to me is, I used to read a lot about like, uh, green architecture of the past and how, you know, 
I've talked about this before, but how, you know, different civilizations, they would create their structures in such a way that like nature provides what we now rely on electricity and other things to provide for us. So like it provides light at certain times, it provides heating and cooling and all of this stuff. Um, and I kind of thought about uh, Machu Picchu, which uh, mm-hmm. is just incredible in that it was made obviously by, you know, an, an ancient civilization, but they built it in such a way that it would never erode down the mountain ever. And they did that yeah. through layering like different rock layers and soil layers and everything so that the water would pass through in such a way that it would never erode. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. We don't do that today. Mm-hmm. We don't have those kinds of knowledges. So I'm like, that's what has to be in our universities. Oh my God. I just, this is making me think of the meme. Have you seen it? Um, I'm trying to find it right now, but it says like, just because white people didn't invent it, <laughs> then there's like a picture of a pyramid and stuff. And then oh, the, yeah, yeah. the headline is like, just because white people didn't invent it doesn't mean it was aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It's Western so civilization. Yeah. It's like, there's so many, like when people just give me bullshit about like when people just talk about like the inherent nature of the human race and how we're all selfish and how Mm. we're all somehow we were all just born capitalists apparently. And this is the perfect system for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, there's so many brilliant examples of how we can coexist with nature and how we can, you know, implement really sustainable, brilliantly creative Mm -hmm. solutions to these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of feeds into my next one because, yeah, there's just this idea that, oh, yeah, we were all just born capitalists. It's just like, no, like capitalism as a system and like the way that it, the way that we are brought up within the system orients us towards this, towards living in ego where you're just worried about like, what does this what does this money and the success show other people about me? Or like, what does Mm -hmm. this BMW show other people about me? And like, you know, all of that kind of garbage, but that definitely is not just an inherent thing. And like, we all have the capacity to see through that. We all have the the capacity to like rise above that and realize that all of that is just an, an illusion. And all of that is not actually, you know, what, we are, you know, at on like an animal level, we are not these beings that are just here to like amass wealth and bullshit, you know? Yeah. And if capitalism was a great fit for just human nature, why are so many, I mean, beyond like all the poverty and the horrible things that are going on, like why are there record levels of like depression and anxiety? Right. It's because obviously the system is Mm-hmm. so not like counter to our nature and counter yeah. to our needs. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's all just fictitious crap. It's all just bullshit. And it's never going to make anyone really happy because like it, you're not actually like going inwards and finding out like what is happiness at all. You're just like looking externally for all of this like validation and like mm-hmm. just wealth, you know? And it's just like, that's not going to actually make you, you know, you're going to be happier than someone who's like struggling on the street but like yeah and even i mean yeah 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 that's true that's true anyway so my number six is 
ego death is the new measure of success. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. So Tell it's like, me more. so uh, yeah. So it's like people actually strive. Um, like it's like impressive or like you gain social capital by your like level of like ego death, mm. like your level of understanding that like, you know, there is no Im- all important self. Like there's, an all important we not not like an all important I, you know what I mean? Or it's like, we are connected. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, just like a new, like, cause right now we measure success obviously in terms of like the money and the wealth and the fame and the glory and like how, yeah, just kind of flipping that on its head of like, no, that's actually, that's like not shameful, but it's like, that's really problematic actually. And somebody who's seeking that is actually like, um, not in right relationship with themselves. Like they're kind of like, you know, sick within their own hearts because like, Mm -hmm. if that's what they're desiring, then like, they're obviously not like, they're not at the level to understand like who they are and like, um, and to like be okay with themselves and like just themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. So like just kind of flipping. So yeah, like ego death is the new measure of success. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I just, I, yeah, I just, I wanted to incorporate some kind of like, we need to change ourselves as well as changing the material conditions. And yeah, just reiterating that, yeah, we definitely need to change the material conditions, but that like, we definitely need to make it so that we are in a place to be able to live in a society with totally different values because like, we're all very inculcated by this like individualism and like selfishness and whatever. And can we actually live in a society where everything is shared? Like, can we actually be selfless? Can we actually be compassionate? Cause that isn't just something that you just turn like on, you know, like, Oh yeah, let's just do that now. You know? Yeah. Especially when everything around you programs you to be the opposite of that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So those are that's my transition. I so like it. do you want to do you want to do your transition and then we'll do far future? Uh sure. Okay. Okay. So I have Okay, so my first one is thousands of middle schoolers around the world go on strike to protest climate change. The UN, Greenpeace, the World Health Organization and dozens more are forced to endorse the movement. Awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> this came out of uh, Greta Thunberg's recent mm. protest. So if listeners aren't aware, she is a 15-year-old young woman, 15-year-old girl. I don't know if you're considered a girl or a young woman at that age. Anyway, mm. it doesn't mean much. Um, mm-hmm. With uh, and she has been striking outside the Swedish parliament for climate change mm-hmm. every Friday. So she doesn't go to school and she just like sits out in front of the Swedish parliament to protest climate change. And I've just been watching like interviews with her and speeches uh, from her and she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she also, I love the awareness that she's bringing to Asperger's syndrome, which she has. She has this great TED talk where she talks about like, how um, people with Asperger's syndrome generally doesn't like generally see things as very black and white and don't really like to do the social dance that we all do in public, like not really <laughs> showing our real opinions about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, climate change, like the fact we need to stop producing fossil fuels, like is a black and white issue. Like we just need to mm-hmm. stop, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's no doing a little dance around it. And she talks about having under, she, like, she went through a depression where she stopped eating, um, and just stopped wanting like 
I, I think that she was suicidal or I'm, I'm forgetting, but basically just went through a really intense bout of depression because she just realized like no one was taking this very seriously. No one was talking yeah. about this and she didn't understand why it wasn't the only thing that political leaders talked about. The only thing that she saw when she turned on the news, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so she, yeah, started um, protesting in front of the, the Swedish parliament. I think she just like sits out there and she said that at first, like not, you know, she asked other kids if they were interested and people weren't interested. So she went and did it by herself. And I think the movement is growing now. She is mm-hmm. in her 19th week doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And she's just super brilliant. And I just get so excited to see, like, she's, I, I was um, speaking about this with Mary, actually, who's our mm. friend and always of the show <laughs> earlier today. And she was like, she's the person I want to be when I grow up. And I was like, yes, yes. that's exactly how I felt. Um, I, and I was just so in awe of her. And she gave a speech at the UN that was amazing. Uh, and I just, it's like a three minute speech. I highly recommend everyone go and check it out. I just um, extracted a little, a, a a paragraph of it because I thought it was so powerful mm-hmm. to hear this coming out of like the, the mouth of a 15 year old girl. Um, yeah. she said, so she was talking about like saving the climate and she goes, but to do that, we have to speak clearly, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. You only speak of green eternal economic growth because you are too scared of being unpopular. Mm-hmm. You only talk about moving forward with the same bad ideas that got us into this mess. Even when the only sensible thing to do is pull the emergency brake. Mm-hmm. You are not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to us children. But I don't care about being popular. I care about climate justice and the living planet. Our civilization is being sacrificed for the opportunity of a very small number of people to continue making enormous amounts of money. Our biosphere is being sacrificed so that rich people in countries like mine can live in luxury. It is the suffering of the many which pay for the luxuries of the few. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, fuck, man. I saw that. I I think I shared that. Well, it wasn't. They they did like a splicing in this video that mm-hmm. I shared or whatever. So it wasn't that full paragraph, but it was some of it. And I love when she's like, "You're not mature enough to tell it like it is." <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Even that burden you leave to us children." <laughs> I absolutely love that. Totally. Yeah, she's so awesome. Yeah, and like, what the heck are you gonna do if a bunch of high schoolers and middle schoolers just start not going to school to protest climate change? They're already like, doing that in Canada. Like like every Friday. I th- I guess it was inspired by her because oh, no uh, on Fridays people are doing that as well. I don't know if it's still continuing, but I know in December there were several Fridays where uh, school kids went on strike for climate change. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I'm going to talk about this later, but also in France with the whole Yellow Jackets movement, the mm. Gilets Jaunes, a bunch of high schoolers have been going on strike here too. And mm. it's just... I mean, once you start, once you start having like 12 year olds in the street protesting this shit, like, what are you going to do? You know? Um, so I'm just actually genuinely really enthusiastic about the potential that high schoolers and Mm. middle schoolers have to change stuff. Absolutely. Um, And I I was also thinking about Emma Gonzalez with the Parkland shooting, um, Mm -hmm. her speech, against um i mean her speech in favor of gun control went totally viral like a few months earlier this year um where she asked legislators to change the gun laws and like called bs on their previous attempts to do so and that speech was so powerful and like galvanized a whole movement i forget what it's called um but there was the march for march for our lives and Mm -hmm. um 
I just really just think that's very exciting. And I'm very eager to see what our young people are doing. God, I sound so old (laughs) when I say that. (laughs) Um, And I was also thinking about the black homeschool movement in the United States, especially where more and more black families are homeschooling their children and also the kids in their communities. And I made that one video on my channel where I was, uh, where I documented um, what a black an African centered vegan homeschool was doing in Brooklyn. Hmm. Uh, And they were amazing. And it was just such a beautiful example of like a community led initiative that is doing so much good. And Mm -hmm. I can just see the black homeschooling movement having a really big implication in this um, future youth led activism that I'm describing. Mm. Amazing. That was my first one. Um, And then, and then, uh, so I have, March March 10, 2019, global recession tanks the economy. There will be free college or no college at all. Woo! <laughs> because <laughs> I was looking at the predictions for like a global recession in 2019 and mm. a lot of people are saying it's like very probable that like some mm. sort of like all these different financial bubbles that we have are going to explode. I feel like that's always, that's always a possibility, but I'm just envisioning like, what if the biggest, what if the, and and one of the very probable causes for a recession in 2019 are like the, all this debt that college students have, Mm -hmm. um, like so many students graduate with like $200,000 of debt, you know, it's Mm -hmm. wild. And, um, I'm just thinking if there's a global recession and it's directly, you know, experts are directly tying it back to um, how much debt college students have. Like, again, I mean, people who are coming into college, if they're looking at like $200,000 of debt and it's just caused the latest recession, mm-hmm. um, I just feel like the the government is going to have to. It's, maybe this is optimistic, but again, we're dreaming the future, but like free college is going to become just such an inevitable obvious next step mm-hmm. so yeah i was recently thinking about that one that i added recently is the first 100 recovery clinics for trauma inflicted by like climate change open mm. throughout the world mm. Interesting. um it doesn't necessarily have to be like clinics but just centers i was mm-hmm. i'm reading this book right now called um well the french title translates to another end of the world is possible mm-hmm. and uh, the authors in it talk a lot about how to how to announce climate news, like how climatologists um, might do so more efficiently, and how also when we break to people the news that like the apocalypse is here and mm-hmm. that our world is totally crumbling. Because I ask myself this question all the time, like how to be young in a world that is just dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about the possibility. Well, there's three authors here, but they talk about the possibility of. First of all, acknowledging that it's really traumatic for people who, even on a theoretical level, actually understand that our world is dying and mm-hmm. how to break that news or how to deliver that news in a way that galvanizes people into healing and action. Mm. So I'm, I hope that we're going to see um, a greater amount of research go in that direction and also a greater amount of just resources that are allocated to that. Mm-hmm. As we go I think forward, that's brilliant. I really like that. That is really, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. And yeah, I'm not sure people are really dealing with the trauma of of that realization 
that well. Like, I think people are either. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to fucking deal with it. No. Most days, actually all days, but some days are worse than others. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of like, even just myself, it's like, okay, what do I tend to do? Uh, It's kind of one of those things where, you know, something bad is coming, but because you don't feel powerful enough to change it yourself, you kind of just downplay it. So you're just kind of like, well, yeah, things will be bad, but I can't really imagine how bad. So I'll just continue thinking that like, I'll be okay. Like I'll figure it out. I'll go into the woods and grow my own food and learn to uh, live in a tree. Like that's what I'll do, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Instead of actually like confronting like the horrible feelings and like, and healing through them, you know, and like accepting them and like growing. Way, yeah. And healing through them in a way that makes you feel powerful. Yeah. Or yeah, he was, he makes the parallel between, um, when people, when doctors, he talks to some doctors about how they announce news to their patients for like a fatal disease and like good strategies and bad strategies, like a bad strategy would be like, you only have five years. Like that's it, you know? And that's how like a lot of climate justice, like deliver this news to us, like devoid of emotion, just like this is, I'm going to try to be the most objective possible so that I can gain credibility. Mm -hmm. Um, And also like, I want to shock you into like, this is what's happening. Like, yeah. yeah. But how he says like that doctors instead, um, some discuss like, you know, talking about the diagnosis and what we know about it and what can be learned through it and like trying to prepare for the experience more than just like giving a set deadline in 10 years, you know, or in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, because that like shoots you into a, like plunges you into a state of despair where you feel like you have absolutely no agency. And it's like, but you still have five years to live. So right. how are they preparing you for those five years? How are you like, you're not dead yet. You right, know? right. <laughs> Um, and also in this book, like having this fatal diagnosis, I forget for which disease it was. Um, but then trying to find on the internet and like through forums, just other people who had had the same diagnosis because it's Mm. been around for a long time and like Mm -hmm. how there's actually all this knowledge that can be shared and tapped into to really build resources to help make those five or 10 years really matter. And, Mm. um, perhaps like springboard to something else. But when there's just this diagnosis from this hierarchical place that's given to you, Mm -hmm. that just is supposed to like stunt you and shock you, there's not really like, yeah, we need to talk about what the experience is going to be like and build on that and what we can learn from it, you know? Right. And like what we, how we can like hold each other up through all of that, you know? Totally. And like how we can get strength from one another. My gosh, mm-hmm. I love that. That's like, that's like very deep. Well done, <laughs> Maureen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm imagining like a lot of a lot of resources going into that and also like the healthcare system actually taking that seriously. Like how is it that we fund so many medic, like so much medication and so much. Yeah. How is it that so many resources go into that? Especially, I mean, I'm just thinking about like the pharmaceutical business and how 80% of their antibiotics um, and like resources go towards factory farming. But how Mm. is it that none of our, like none of the money and none of the like consciousness trying to fight for public health is allocating resources towards helping people deal with the situation that we're in right now. Right. Yeah. 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 And the tremendous stress and like despair that it causes totally in all of us, you know, whether you're in denial or whether you 
are not. Like mm-hmm. being in denial is also a form of defense mechanism. Like I think that on some, like we all know, you know? Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. That This is kind of like um, the vegan warrior princesses attack had uh oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name now, but he's a psychologist, I believe on the show and Steven? talking about Steven. Is yeah. Steven? Dawson. Uh, yeah, I, that's I don't his know. Name. <laughs> that's but his name. I know what but, um, but yeah, just talking about how, you know, the system, like people who are, you know, depressed or anxious or all this stuff within this system or who have a really hard time dealing mentally within this system, you know, it's like they're just treated as, oh, you're just sick. Oh, you have an illness. Instead of looking at the systemic causes of that, and it's kind of like, instead of, treating everyone as just being like, oh, you're just ill because you feel depressed right now being like, okay, actually you're probably just really informed and that's, it's very depressing. Like what, you know what I mean? Like instead of just acknowledging that like, that's actually yeah. a very rational, mm-hmm. um, you know, normal response to be having to the situation we're in, you know, yeah. and it's just treating you as like, well, here are some antidepressants because there's some kind of imbalance going on with you because you just can't get it together. It's like, yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. So my next one is called, I'm horrible at coming up with catchy names, but let's just say we'll find a catchier name when the time comes. Black Friday blackout, in quotes, Black Friday blackout. Yesterday alone, an estimated $13 billion lost in sales throughout the world. Next Friday, what will it be? So I'm envisioning, I'm envisioning a strike on like an international level where people don't buy stuff. And I know that this has been discussed, but it's never actually been done. But I think like Black Friday is like a counter protest. Like we could all organize to like no one buys anything. Maybe the Uber rich will keep purchasing, but like let's face it, if no one buys anything on Black Friday, because Black Friday is even a thing in France now, yeah. which is like what we don't celebrate Thanksgiving. We don't even know like the people are like it's a Black Friday, but like, yeah. no one even knows what the heck that means, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I really, I, I think that this could be organized. And um, when I said like next Friday, what will it be? It's because I, I've been super uh, inspired by the Yellow Jackets movement here, which has been happening every Saturday. Um, I think last, I think today was episode seven or episode eight. Oh, I should know. But basically it's like a reoccurring thing every single week. And maybe this is, maybe this is something that's done often, but I I, I think a lot of times protests are seen as a one-time thing, but the mm-hmm. fact that this has been like a reoccurring thing every week has made like politics have had to address this because the destruction has been so massive. And cause it's like, they have seven days until the next episode. Like they're literally called right. episodes uh-huh. or have, no, they're called act. They're like act for next week. Wow. Um, so that creates a sense of like, holy shit, like we actually need to give them a response that will make them, that will like appease them somewhat. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I, yeah, I was envisioning like everyone getting galvanized for like a Black Friday blackout and then um, mm-hmm. us losing 13, like the economy losing $13 billion. I have no good ideas of numbers, but I was trying to find what companies generally make 
around the world in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having like the anxiety of like, okay, well, like this is going to happen every Friday now. So what are we going to do for the next Friday? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also, I think the yellow jackets seeing their lists of, you know, they get so much criticism by the mainstream for being like disorganized and decentralized. It's like, yeah, this is a spontaneous movement of people coming together and their demands are super, are very decentralized, but that's what's mm-hmm. exciting about it. I think it's mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. not just a movement that it came together at first to protest the increasing cost of gasoline. Mm-hmm. But now there, I'm going to read some of them out right now, but their demands are so much wider than that. And so obviously like, you know, the bureaucrats are like, oh, they'll never get any shit done because like, look at how dispersed they are. But like, yeah, Mm. it's because there's so much anger about things that are like cutting across so many different disciplines, you know, Mm. and, um, and I also think it's an example of, I mean, I really hope this movement, like, I just really hope populism goes left and not right. You know, it's like always the, but I really feel like with these, with these, with this list of demands, it's like obviously going left because they're denouncing. So their first demand is zero homelessness. Like they mm-hmm. they don't like there needs to be zero homelessness before the movement stops. Um, taxation on wealth, uh, hi- a higher minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So the president announced a measure to increase gasoline taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and his reasoning for it was that, oh, well, climate change is getting so bad and pollution is getting so bad that we need to, you know, I'm sorry, but we can't on the one hand, we can't with one hand cut the cost of gasoline and on the other advocate for climate change, you know, because mm-hmm. those two things like we're going to have to choose. It's like, yeah, we can't. How about like addressing the fact that we've we are now like the second or third country that sells the most arms like how about addressing the fact that like so many corporations are coming into france because like you're not taxing them enough how about the fact Mm -hmm. that you know whatever so many different things to address before making like rural french communities that already have no money like pay more Mm -hmm. for their fucking gasoline right Um, like the people who caused the problem should be the ones being taxed not the working class and and so there was this sense, like this big outrage that um he that that the the wealthier class and like the big cities at first were like, well, like people who are just like poor don't want like don't care about climate change. And they were like, if we do care about climate change, like we just want to be able to like drive when because when you live in rural France and especially because our train system is like crumbling and because so many um like there are food deserts in France now because there are so many places that like you can't get to without a car. Mm-hmm. So like making the making those people seem like the people who aren't aren't environmentally friendly is incredibly patronizing. And that mm-hmm. really came out in the Gilets Jaunes movement. And, and so it's cool because it's created this like alliance with a lot of um, environmental groups mm-hmm. that are supporting the Gilets Jaunes, that are supporting the facts that the gasoline shouldn't be taxed more. And I, I think that the Macron government really wanted to exacerbate the divisions between environmentalists and the poor, the poor people, mm-hmm. but that like didn't work. And the alliance mm-hmm. I like is there are like climate marches within the Gilets Jaunes marches and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, one of their demands is to um, reinforce isolation in the walls. Whenever housing complexes are built for the isolation to be stronger so that the heating costs don't have to be as high and also that can benefit the environment because we'll use less electricity. Yeah. What did I say? 
isolation. Oh, yeah. Insulation. <laughs> so I was like, what? Oh, yeah. yeah it's because I, I wrote ins- isolation on my page. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I Like, I really love what's going on with that. I mean, I know that there's like, you know, f- fashy elements within the movement, but it's like, that's really to be expected with any kind of major movement and that like is that. And such a minority. Yeah. Unfortunately, in Canada, like the movement is like pretty much 100% right wing fashion. Really? <laughs> like they, and they have no idea what's going on. Like they, they're going out and they're protesting Justin Trudeau on the grounds that he's like capitulating to the UN by signing this agreement that says like, we will let in refugees or something. It's not even anything. It's nothing. Wow. And, and they're going out and protesting that and like I think they're protesting like climate action and they're like pro pipeline and stuff and it's just really confused but they're all out there being like yeah we're the yellow jackets and like it's wait it's pathetic what the fuck because one of the yeah. I'm not done with their list of demands but um their next demand is an end to austerity politics their next demand is treat refugees and asylum seekers with dignity and they say yeah. we owe them security food shelter health and education mm-hmm. um a higher pension for the disabled community mm-hmm. because um recent like government i forget if it was the Hollande government before macron but i think it was anyway they cut like so much so much of the aid that was going to like um resources for the disabled communities mm-hmm. um the disabled community and uh a maximum salary oh they also call for the maximum salary in the country to be fifteen thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. Which is like super high, yeah. but still like there's some people who make more than that, mm-hmm. and so so yeah, it just seems very and and I didn't even read off all of them, but that seems mm-hmm. very uh, that seems to me like very left wing, right? Absolutely, like, yeah, yeah. Tax the rich, tax wealth, like accept and treat with dignity refugees and asylum seekers, and also the the headline that I was thinking this would be reoccurring is because. There's been so much damage um, to like mm-hmm. uh, to things like storefronts and car burnings and stuff like that um, every week that I, I know that in Act Three, which I think was the most like quote unquote violent up until now, um, they were estimating the cost of the damages um, to be around four million dollars, mm-hmm. and so that was that was another thing that made them pay attention is like okay, well, this is like around Christmas time, like Mm. Paris is the most touristic city in the world. And France is like very up there. And this is like affecting our image. And even I mean, and even still then we, yeah, this could be a whole other episode. But like a lot of the measures (laughs) that Macron announced, like a lot of them sound good on paper, and were clearly just meant to appease people, but in their substance are pretty empty. Yeah, but Anyhow. We should we should do an episode and I, I can talk about like what's going on in Canada and how confused it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's shocking. I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> well, um the Black Friday blackout will be uh and and it won't be like explicitly left or right, but it'll just be again like these these mm. demands that the Gilets Jaunes have are so mm. um yeah, they really point out like that capitalism is the problem, mm-hmm. that wealth is the problem, um, and that climate change should not fall on the shoulders of like poor people who have to ride their car to get to a supermarket like twenty kilometers away. You know, totally. 
Um, yes. And then I think my last one is meet the Ugandan feminists who hacked Jeff Bezos's wealth <laughs> and redistributed the $168 billion in seven days. Yes. Um, so I was imagining them like $168 billion. This man has, this yeah. is a joke. I know that yeah. he's like, I know I knew that it was ridiculous, but, um, mm. So I'm just imagining like that wealth being redistributed to like a pre-established like network of wire transfers to communities in need across the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why they're like Ugandan specifically? Oh, oh no, 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 no at all. Okay. I was just thinking, <laughs> I was just like, what is the list? What is, I, I was just thinking that I wouldn't want like techies to like. Yeah. Yeah. Totes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no reason why they're Ugandan. Mm-hmm. Um, Dude, I was looking this up. How much Jeff Be- Bezos earns? What is mm-hmm. it? Jeff Bezos? I never know how to pronounce that. Yeah, I think that. it's Bezos. So every second, this man is making $2,489. Every hour, he's making $8 million. Ew. $8 million nine hundred. I, I can't even pronounce this number. $8,961,200. Mm. And every week he's making over $1.5 billion. And this year alone, he made $78 billion, (sighs) even more than that. But I can't read out this number. Isn't that, I mean, I just, that makes me gag. I, no, that makes me like, I'm not a really, you know, angry or violent person, but like, that makes me want to like, go get all the guns and start the revolution right now. Really? (laughs) Yeah. That makes me so mad. (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's just totally wild. And so his wealth alone, Mm -hmm. like imagine redistributing that. Yeah. (sighs) No, that makes me furious. Yeah. Oh, and then I was also imagining like a march of men wearing dresses. Excellent. It's very weird. Okay. My my imagination went to weird places today, but like denouncing <laughs> patriarchy and toxic masculinity as something that like really harms them as well. Mm, um, wonderful. And I, I really hope to see more of that in the feminist movement. Um, just going forward is like how oppressive patriarchy and gender norms are for men. Yeah. Um, and especially reinforced by like capitalist logic mm-hmm. and yeah how it's just causing like so much emotional alienation and depression and suicide and yeah how more and more of my feminist activism is also is uh going in that direction of like really trying to trying to think of like how we can genuinely create a movement that is like inclusive mm-hmm. of men and how men like men need to want to participate obviously this, this i'm not saying this has been like our fault but i feel like i, w- I would just love to see a movement of conscious men coming about mm. um yeah and i've also been really inspired by the show man enough which i think yes, we discussed here totally with what's what is what is his name justin oh, baldoni god damn it justin baldoni god damn it justin <sighs> man I, I mean, I can barely watch the show, I gotta be honest. But see, this is bad. I don't mean to objectify someone who is doing remarkable work, but, like, goddamn. The thing for me, though, is, like, it's not even, like, you're attractive. Like, I don't give a shit if you're attractive or if you're not attractive. But, like, just what he's doing makes him, Amazing. like, so wonderful. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, oh, yeah Justin, man. <laughs> Justin. Man, Justin. <laughs> man. 
God damn it, Bell Dony. <laughs> but everyone should check out the show. And then he also has a talk, a TED talk called Why I've Stopped Trying to Be Man Enough, something mm. like that. And it's gotten like millions of views. And his website is also creating resources for young men to educate themselves about this. Mm-hmm. I just read this amazing book by Bell Hooks called The Will to Change. Well, I didn't just read it. I read it a little while ago. Um, that was published in the 80s or the 90s. Uh, anyway, a while ago. But mm-hmm. it's so, so relevant and made me just empathize with all the shitty gender norms that men have to also, you know, conform to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. I like that one. Yeah, maybe they'll all wear dresses in the street. And then I was trying to come up with a sassy name, like Dress to Man and Press or something like that, but I couldn't find a, I find a, a good name. Yeah, so. maybe the listeners can, uh, can let oh, us yeah. know so snappy mm-hmm. names. Yeah. So is that your transition? Yeah. All right, I like it. I think we've got a pretty good, like, well-rounded transition here <laughs> then, you know? Yeah. Okay, so moving into the future future. So this is 50 plus years. So so I got five here. Okay. Today marks the 10-year anniversary of the last bourgeois election. And so my thinking on this is that kind of following ideas that are taken from, I guess, you know, certain indigenous nations, Um, just this idea that we don't actually vote for our leaders anymore. Like we don't have leaders based on like, okay, you won this vote. And now whatever, like you're in an office now and whatever you say is the law because the majority voted for you. You know what I mean? Like no more shit like that. Like leadership is only garnered through the amassing of respect within a community. So like there aren't like, you know, I'm thinking of like Adrian's kind of like leaderful movements where Mm. leadership is, you know, basically like if you're somebody who, you know, does a lot of stuff for the community, you have their respect, you like provide things that they want, then like you become kind of like a leader just based on the amount that the community trusts you and and wants to entrust you with certain um, roles and responsibilities because you carry them out effectively. And the minute that you fail the community or the minute that you stop having their respect or whatever, then you're no longer a leader because no one's going to entrust you with anything anymore. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like, to me, that's kind of like the leadership of the future. And so that headline kind of marks like, yeah, no more bourgeois elections and like no more even like representative democracy i don't know <laughs> mm-hmm. that's that's my thought for mm. the future mm-hmm. i like that yeah um so number two is veganic permaculture sweeps the land <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah veganic permaculture where we are part of the ecosystems that we're creating and um yeah we have you know animal companions but we do not own them and they are simply part of this ecosystem that we are part of and is fucking beautiful that's that's what's Mm -hmm. gonna happen yeah and for anyone who's curious about veganic permaculture you should check out an episode that maxi yes maxi released with Becky Ellis, who is amazing and who also has her own podcast, which you should check out called Permaculture for the People. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, number three, all global cities now food secure through vertical farming and aeroponics. Sorry, my cat just meowed. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> and she has this very like deathly, not not deathly, but like some. She she does meow like meow. She goes like. <laughs> I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> anyway, yeah. I'm a host family for a kitty. I'm not actually. This is not my cat. Yeah, very sweet, sorry. Very I sweet. totally cut you off. No, I mean, I think that uh, Mika really liked that one. I guess. Yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> but since Mika meowed, I didn't hear. I didn't hear it. Can you start okay, again? So it's all global cities now food secure through vertical farming and aeroponics. So, uh, yeah, I'm envisioning a system where cities are food secure. We don't have to be like trucking food around the world because we have vertical farming Mm. and aeroponics within like basically every household. And so we just have this Mm. overabundance, not overabundance because we don't want to be wasteful, but we have an abundance of food and it's not something that like we need to be fighting over. Obviously, this is like post-scarcity, you know? Um. Number four, paint containing, oh, I, I didn't look up this word, vo- photovoltaic cells, or I can't, I don't remember how to say the word, but um, paint containing photo cells that, you know, like solar cells is mm-hmm. now available to the masses. So I'm imagining that like, you know, our technology has advanced to the point where we actually have like paint that you can just paint on a surface and it has like it's basically like that makes it a solar panel and that's like very very widely available so like everyone everywhere can access that and amazing yeah that's how we're having our energy um i also imagine the paint would be white so that Mm -hmm. when you paint it you can paint it on your roof and like white has a high albedo so that would like reflect more of the sun's rays so like everything could be painted with this like white solar paint Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love that that reminds me of um i recently uh my my friend who teaches a social entrepreneurship class Mm -hmm. um invited me to observe one of her classes and the students uh were they had to one of the their end of the year project was to make up some kind of technology and sell it. Like their final class was the business pitch of their, the project um, Mm -hmm. they, they had thought of. And one of the projects actually really interested me. I was like, wait guys, can we do this? Like, Mm -hmm. um, but it was tiles that um, would be placed on like all gins and basketball courts, especially Mm -hmm. um, that like when you hit them, it creates like it captures the energy and then that energy is used to fuel the gym and like the lights and everything. And apparently it can be done, but it's super expensive right now. Mm. But how we could use, like how we could recycle plastic in order to make those tiles and have that power all of our energy. Amazing. I thought it was very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So add that to the future. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then my last one for the far future is, Transformative justice prevails as the majority of population reaches spiritual enlightenment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because I feel like and this has been something that's going on in the leftist movement right now is like, you know, problematic people in the movement being like, you know, canceled. And Mm -hmm. um, I hate that word. Yeah, I mean, I and I don't want to speak too much on like the exact 
uh, issue that uh, happened recently. But just this idea of, you know, clearly, yes, there need to be consequences like the community people in the community need to feel safe and um you know yeah it needs to be a safe space but at the same time i really i don't think that we're going to like if we want the future to be one where like there are no police there is no carceral punishment then we actually have to think deeply on these questions of like how do we deal with people in our community who do do really problematic things and who do hurt other people in the movement like how do we heal those relationships how do we grow together like how do we um move forward in a way that makes us all stronger instead of just being like okay you're out of the movement because it's like if we're canceling everyone who's done problematic shit from the movement then like everyone's just going to be outside and there's going to be not that many of us left inside, you know what I mean? And then how does that work? Like we need to actually like really think through these questions. Um, So that's my hope for the future is that people, um, I guess, get to the point where they would have the capacity and like, you know, yeah, the emotional strength to uh, think about enacting transformative justice with people who have potentially hurt them, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to think about moving forward in ways that can heal everyone instead of like just uh, punishing, I guess, people, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So those are my future ones. I love them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I only really have two headlines. I hope that that's okay. That's totally fine. Um, so in no order, I don't know which one would come first. Maybe this one. So 95% of plastic has been fished out of the ocean and converted mm. into fabric houses from Mongolia and Russia. <laughs> Sounds quite specific. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but this a few different things inspire me. Okay. Um, the first is uh, there's a I saw a TED talk recently by Have you heard of this man called Boyan Slot? No. Who so he has like a TED talk that's been viewed like millions of times. But he's uh, he's 23 years old. I guess this is in 2017, so uh, 24 year old years old now, and um, he. Ha- like is working to elaborate with like a bunch of engineers these plot these nets that would uh drift along the ocean and collect a bunch of plastic mm-hmm. like they basically have all of the technology like they know of the right technology to do this but i think they need the funds but it seems like this project has a ton of potential mm-hmm. and like we could actually get so much of the plastic out of the ocean he's actually predicting that like i don't know by a certain date there will be no plastic left in the ocean how do the nets something. like not catch other sea life or stuff well so that's addressed in the TED talk okay i know that there's a way like that has okay. been addressed in the solution but unfortunately i, I, I don't remember what that is <laughs> i mean yeah I'm, I'm sure they must have thought of that um, and then I was thinking, okay, what would all this plastic be converted into? Because that is what gives me anxiety too. Like every time mm. we throw things away, I'm like, this is literally going into a landfill and becoming nothing. And plus it's in a landfill in an anaerobic environment and it's just creating more CO2 and just not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so 
then I, I started <laughs> looking at how old plastic could be recycled efficiently. It apparently takes over 10, pl- it takes 10 plastic water bottles to make enough fabric, like recyclable fabric for a t-shirt. Oh. Um, so that's good. Cause I was thinking there's so much plastic that we need a solution that makes uh-huh. like a little bit of something with a lot of plastic. Yeah. Um, and I also have a friend, a very brilliant friend who's working on a project to make like fabric houses called Gurs in Mongolia, mm. because Mongolia is very, very cold. It gets to be negative 40 degrees Celsius for a, a large part of the year during the winter. Mm-hmm. And it's also the most polluted place on earth, like their oh. capital. I forget what the capital's uh, name is. Sorry, guys, I'm ignorant. <laughs> uh, it's the most polluted um, place on earth because they burn so much coal oh. in their gurs, like in their huts. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not be huts, but in the places where they live. And the places where they live are also insulated very badly. So they need to burn like a tremendous amount of coal to stay mm-hmm. warm. Mm-hmm. And so you can't even go outside without a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently all of the like windows are always shut. Like you can't open any windows because the pollution is so bad. Yikes. And so she proposed a project. She's over there like working with a Fulbright grant. Um, she does architecture and has figured out how to build um, these new GERS like with fabric with this technology that um that helps reduce the like energy emission by like a hundred percent or something wow. um mm-hmm. yeah that would be like that's both like environmentally sustainable to build but also like cuts like is going to cut out a tremendous amount of pollution and so i have no idea if that fabric could be made with recyclable plastic bottles but since mm-hmm. we're since we're dreaming recycled yeah. plastic bottles sorry yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, what if we uh, find a way to make make fabric houses with this plastic that we fish out of the ocean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. So, that's, yeah. That's one thing I'm hoping. If any of the listeners know how to do that, yeah. get on it. <laughs> I like that a lot. That kind of reminds me of like, yeah, this ancient green tech I was talking about where like you, you actually build things to work with the environment you know, yeah. like in such a way that reduces the amount that we have to like, yeah, burn or pump or whatever, right? Like, totally. And I'm thinking like, instead of producing new things, how could we, there is so much we've extracted from the ground. There's mm-hmm. so much, I get so much anxiety just thinking about how much waste like one city makes in one day, you know, yeah. it's just mm-hmm. quantities that we cannot fathom. Yeah. And I envision, I, you know, a solution if we somehow survive the apocalypse without completely perishing, it's going to have to incorporate using up all of this stuff mm-hmm. into, like, we don't need to extract any more from the ground. We need to stop, like, ASAP, but we also need to find a way to use all the things that we've produced mm-hmm. and thrown away. Um, yeah. And then... Uh, something later no particular date but um un report confirms financial institutions will be dissolved and replaced with a resource-based economy yeah and i just really (laughs) saw any any sort of um solution coming to that like how you know money not being like this this social value that means nothing that doesn't Mm -hmm. actually reflect what it costs to create 
things is going to have to be substituted by a resource-based economy in some shape, some, mm-hmm. some shape or form, like mm-hmm. actually um, that the cost of material things will be reflected in what they actually cost the world, what they actually cost in transportation and labor in uh, like resources from the earth. And until we have an economy where the cost of those things are reflected, mm-hmm. we're never going to be sustainable. And so I was thinking like uh, maybe when the financial institutions are, are dissolved, all of that money. And also I was thinking about all the money that, that charities have that like basically serve to pump money back into the issues that money helped to create, mm. um, being funneled into creating, cause there's going to be like a, a very large period of data gathering. Like we actually need to gather data about all of the resources that we have in the world and mm-hmm. centralize that so that we can actually, um, say, okay, we have this, this many, this much wood, we have this much steel, we have this much cobalt, we have this much whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think robots are like, yeah, we could use our tech to help us with this resource-based economy project. Mm -hmm. And I would almost prefer it to be in their hands than in ours. That's kind of scary to think about too, but like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't want it to be like, I don't want it to be this very complex system that only like two people know how to handle. Yeah. So I think almost like that could be, that could be left Mm -hmm. to the robots. Yeah. Also (laughs) like presumably the robots would not be driven by greed. Like they they would be just be driven by like what makes the most sense. Exactly. And like, how can we do this the best way possible? So yeah, yeah, I like it. So yeah, I like Those it. Are the headlines? I love it. I love this whole exercise. I think it's actually really fun. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we go, I wanted to read uh, a number of people submitted. Like when I post, I posted a video. Uh, about reclaiming radical creativity and I suggested as you know one exercise that people do to reclaim their radical creativity is they think about these kinds of headlines to to start dreaming the future um so a number of people commented with some really awesome uh headlines that I just wanted to to read some from the listeners and I also wanted to encourage any anyone who listens to this and who feels inspired um to send your your possible headlines for the future um you can message that to me on on any social media platform or email us at vegan vanguard podcast at gmail.com and i thought yeah if people sent some stuff in then i could maybe start start each show reading out a couple of these headlines just to remind ourselves that 2019 is the year that we're orienting our energy towards you know the future that we want and not the future that uh, makes us depressed so i love that idea yeah i love it So uh, here we go. So Debo Molina, these are their headlines. Last living billionaire has relinquished their wealth. It's the first one. New economic studies suggest that the poorest communes are now as livable as 50% of middle-class suburbs 20 years ago. I like that. Wait, can you read that again? 50? New economic studies suggest that the Mm -hmm. poorest communes are now as livable as 50% of middle-class suburbs 20 years ago. I don't know about the 50% part, but just the idea that like even the poorest communes are, are, uh, you know, comparable to middle-class suburbs 20 years ago. That's a good Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, that is. 
Um, Amazon rainforest has returned to original size and genetic engineering may bring back 75% of the extinct species from there. <gasps> wow. Yes. Yes. Okay. These ones are also good. This is, these are from Shinjino Brave. These baby penguins have reclaimed what used to be called an oil rig and it is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I can also so see that being in that one. <laughs> I love that. Um, number two, 10 beautiful pictures of the deep forest in the ruins of suburbia. Number six will make you cry. <laughs> That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ben Shapiro finally let die after we kept him alive long enough to see the destructive consequences of climate change. Quote, I guess you guys were right. I'm a small, <laughs> tiny coward. Please end my suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is dark, man. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I didn't know that was one of his... He's a climate change denier? Um, yeah, I mean, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I Like, forget that this is actually a thing that is widespread. I know it mm-hmm. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if the president of the United States doesn't believe it, it must be pretty mainstream, but... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, so Tyler Graham. Also, like, put Trump on that list. I would love to see Trump being I know, yeah. Someone, you someone, are correct. Someone give us a Trump headline. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tyler Graham. Through invest- oh, sorry. Thorough investigation concludes that all existing nuclear weapons have been deactivated. Love that. The only hungry people are the people who choose to fast. Yes. What comes after money? Labor vouchers, socialized contracts, or something else? Question mark. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's got a lot listed here, so maybe I'll just pick a few. Um, democratic unions produce and distribute at a higher rate than ever thought possible. Mm. All menial labor will be automated within five years' time. Wow. Oh, this one's good. Record number of people walking around naked this summer without fear of harassment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that one is so good. When you yeah. read that one to me. Yeah, I, I was did. Like, yes, this is my favorite. Okay, one of my friends, Adam Batman, shout out Adam. Um, 50% of humanity adopts a vegan lifestyle. Turns out it's just easier to grow plants than animals. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, who knew? Yes. Yeah, that definitely was a headline that I wanted to have too, that like everyone goes vegan or, or something like, this like shocking relic of a person describes why they choose to eat meat or something. Yes, yes. <laughs> like the, the curious reason why. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, climate change will do a U-turn at two degrees thanks to the peaceful transition from late capitalism to socialism, which ended our addiction to crude oil. Okay, that right there. That right there. Right there. That right there. Scientists replenish almost 60% of Earth's biodiversity thanks to the cataloging of DNA samples. Quote, we literally just copied that dinosaur movie. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. My other friend, Jacob. This is Toronto. Well, some of this is Canada focused as well. Toronto holds massive street party after renaming Ryerson University to Dish With One Spoon University. Bracket, fuck Egerton Ryerson. Um, So Ryerson actually founded the residential school system, if anyone's 
familiar with that in Canada. It's where uh, Indigenous children were stolen from their families and communities and forced into these horrible schools where they were uh, beaten and abused and forced to adopt Christianity. And it was basically just to like beat them out of, you know, beat, beat the Indian out of the child was what they said, I believe. Uh, and there's a university named after him. So hmm. that'll be renamed. Um, indigenous language is now mandatory in public school, which I think is cool because obviously, yeah, it's been the opposite for so long now. Um, far future wild dodo spotted after 150 years in Australia. So like, I guess species are coming back. Mm -hmm. Violence against non-men at lowest point in recorded history. Yes. I guess against like women and trans and non-binary people. I think that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that and is. AI decide they don't want to destroy humans, usher in luxury gay space communism instead. Ooh. <laughs> um, okay, so I just have one more person to read. Alex. Entirely self-sufficient eco-communes are popping up all over the country and they have demands. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is um, very good. Yeah. Empty luxury condos are being repurposed into indoor gardens. I mean, that's good. Otherwise, I think they should, like, maybe house people. Yeah, this, I was going to say. Yeah. Um, grazing cattle over charred California cities encourages plant growth and reforestation. Wait. <laughs> I like I like what that. did you say? Can you say that again? Grazing cattle. So I'm uh -huh. I guess, like, the, these cattle are, uh -huh. like, wild. Like, they're not... In, you know they're not part of we don't own them okay so grazing cattle over charred california cities encourages plant growth and reforestation okay yeah and then stay the course at current rate global climate levels will not exceed two degrees celsius may fall in the future i'm realizing i've even lost the hope of like for me it's just so definite that we're going to go past that two degree mark don't say that, that. <laughs> is that not I thought that no, was like of course, definitely a thing. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I'm just trying to like. I know, but that's why like those headlines are exciting to me. I'm like, <gasps> yeah, exactly, we? exactly. Right. Could that? Could we actually not? <laughs> yeah, well, that's but, like that's exciting because it's like yeah, I want to orient my energy to like okay, yeah, right. that's it, that's it, that's what's going to happen. Even though right. it's like it probably won't. Like it's that's like, what we want to happen. That's what we not want to happen. Acknowledging what we don't want. Right, exactly. So focus on what we want, even if it's like a bit unrealistic, you know, mm -hmm. dream the impossible. So anyway, yeah, please send in your headlines if you're interested in please. contributing and please. I will read them out at the start of the, the you yeah. know, the following episodes. Cool. Yeah. Well, this was fun. This was super fun. I hope people are inspired or at least like you know had a good time listening to yeah. the headlines mm -hmm. and uh yeah i encourage you to to think of some some more on your own so before we go we have a few new patrons to shout out so thank you so much to josh r and k erez i'm sorry i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right q u e e r e s send me a message and let me know i can uh, correct that next time but thank you so much for your generous donations if you'd like to support the show you can become a monthly patron donor at patreon.com slash vegan vanguard or toss us a one-time donation via paypal on our website veganvanguardpodcast.com 
or share this episode with friends and family to help us increase our reach. Uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes. That really helps us as well. And yeah, that is all. perfect. Yeah. So happy new year, everyone. Thanks for listening. Happy new year. And we'll see you in two weeks. We'll see you in two weeks.